0: Today, I'm going to preach on the blood covenant. Everyone say the blood covenant. And this is probably one of the most important messages you will ever hear in your life. See, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was, in fact, the cutting of a blood covenant, of a contract between God and Jesus Christ, representing all men, Jesus. And this is really the basis and the foundation of Of our relationship with God. This is really the basis and foundation of the gospel of grace. Because the blood covenant is our constitution. It is the document upon which all the rights and the privileges we have as citizens of the kingdom of God is enjoyed. If you want to really understand what it means to be a citizen of the nation of India, with all the rights that you have, you need to know your constitutional rights. So the Blood Covenant is really our constitutional document upon which we can be victorious citizens in the kingdom of God. And this truth, this message, if you will receive it with all your heart today, it will lead to a deeper intimacy with your heavenly Father even from today. This message will lead to freedom in your relationship. Freedom in your faith walk, boldness, victory. It will strengthen your faith. It will cause a deeper foundation in your faith. And it will cause you to live a victorious life. This message will also give you the key so that you can possess, you can inherit. You are able to receive and enjoy all the rights and the privileges that you have as a child of God. This is the key. This is the foundation. You cannot take this message lightly. And you cannot take it just as another message. If you will believe it and you will practice it from today. And you will let it change your mind and change your beliefs. I tell you, this is the foundation of strong, robust Christianity. Can you say Amen? Mark chapter 14, verse 22 to 25. take communion after the message so just make sure you keep your elements with you if you have not received it you will receive it after the message is over mark chapter 14 verse 22 to 25 jesus is having the last supper with his disciples he says in verse 22 as they were eating jesus took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said take it this is my body and they took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said to them, "This is my blood, of the new covenant, which is shed for many." I want you to notice that phrase: "My blood," talking about the cup of wine, signifying his blood, of the new covenant. The new covenant." We know that in this meal, the Passover meal, Jesus was enacting what he would do on the cross. That on the cross, his body would be broken for our sins and for our sickness. That he would bear our sins on his own body on the tree. That his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now we are all aware of that because we've been to many Good Friday services. But what we, many of us, many believers, and I tell you, this message is not preached in the majority of churches around the world. Not even the evangelical churches. You see, what many of us don't realize is that beyond the physical events of what happened on Friday on that cross, that in reality, it was a blood covenant that was being signed between God and Jesus it was a blood covenant and Jesus was representing all men when he was on the cross and that's why Jesus says this is my blood of the new covenant covenant how many of us even know what the word covenant means so if Jesus said it is the new covenant then it is implied there was an old covenant or there was a first covenant amen now, if you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, we find that the Bible is a story of many covenants. God made a covenant with Noah and he said, I will never again flood the earth. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel and so on. And by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, the Old Testament... Old Testament... Um, Theologians, the scribes and the Pharisees of that time, the, the religious leaders of Judaism, had divided the Old Testament into three parts. Number one, the law, also called the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Then the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. And the Psalms, the poetical books, Psalms, the prophets, I mean uh, Proverbs, and so on. So every time Jesus in the Gospels is referring to Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he was referring to the Old Testament. And Jesus himself said, the Old Testament is a picture of him. The true message in the Old Testament is him. And he is revealed in the Old Testament in types and shadows. And in the New Testament, Jesus is really revealed in substance. So in reality, the Bible is one story. Even though we have the story of Moses and Naaman and all the stories of Isaiah and so on, this Bible is really one story. There's one common thread from Genesis to Revelations and it's a story of God entering into a blood covenant with man to redeem mankind from their sins. And you see the story of the blood all the way from Genesis when God killed the animals so that he can clothe Adam and Eve with the skin of animals. All the way to Jerusalem, I mean to to Revelations where where Jesus is worshipped for being the Lamb of God in heaven. It's one story of redemption. The Old Testament tells us that it is going to happen. The Gospels tell us it happened. And the New Testament explains what happened when it happened. So we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. The word testament is from a Latin word testamentum, which simply means a will, a contract. So a more accurate translation should have been the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because the Old Testament talks about the Old Covenant of the law, which was based on the sacrifice of animals, bulls and goats. And also based on the Ten Commandments and all the other laws which defined God's relationship with the nation of Israel. But the New Testament talks about a new covenant. A new covenant which is based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And that sacrifice of Jesus defines the terms of God's relationship with man today. With the church. And if you don't know what the new covenant means, I tell you, it will be a life where we are sometimes feeling like we are in the old, sometimes in the new. We are confused about law and grace. We are condemned about, you know, many things that we go through which we have already been redeemed from. Amen. Alright, what is a covenant? The word covenant in the Hebrew comes from the word berit. Everyone say berit. And which means to cut. It simply means to cut by the shedding of blood. So a covenant is a contract made between two parties. By the shedding of blood and by passing between pieces of flesh of the animals. In the Greek is the word diateke. And it simply means a will, a contract or a covenant. So a covenant is literally... The strongest word for agreement that you will find in any language, any culture, anywhere in the world, even in ancient times, is the strongest word for promise. It's the strongest word for an oath. It is made by the shedding of blood and it is the most solemn and sacred of all contracts because one, it is made, it is never, it can never be broken. In fact, we have even stories about how. You know, people who go to mafias, who join gangster groups, you know, they have to make a covenant, a blood covenant to enter it. And once they enter it, they can never leave. So you must understand the sacredness and the sanctity of blood. Which is there in every religion. And more so because it comes from the revelation of God. And once we know this, I tell you, our our faith will be unshakable. Now, the Bible uses this to define and to talk about God's relationship with men, with Israel, and now today with the believers. And in the King James Version of the Bible, this word is found 394 times. So the Bible has a lot to say about covenant. Let me give you certain steps in an old Hebrew or Hittite ritual of a covenant. And here you will find glimpses of God's covenant with us in Christ Jesus all right, so step number one in an old blood covenant, and this is what God really did. In, all, in an old blood covenant, you take off your robe and you give to the other person. You will take off your robe. In ancient times, your robe represented you, it represents your identity. When Jonathan and David made a covenant, the Bible says Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David. Alright, so the rope represents the giving of yourself to the other. Step number two, you will take off your belt. In ancient times, your belt represents your power because your belt holds your sword, your dagger, and everything else that is essential for life. You will take off your belt and you will give it to the other person. Jonathan gave his belt to David too. So the belt represents your power. Your belt represents your strength. What you're saying is, I'm giving you my protection and I'm giving you my support. Step number three, you will cut the covenant. And when a covenant is cut, usually of animals, cow, bull, um, ram, female goat, and so on, you will cut it down the middle. You will split the animal from the head down the middle and you will lay the pieces facing each other. The picture is not really accurate. And you will place the pieces on the ground facing each other. And the two parties will make a figure eight walking on the bloody ground, smelling the smell of death. Walk between the pieces in the figure eight because you are symbolically saying we are dying to ourselves. We are giving up our rights to ourselves. And we are beginning a new walk with our covenant partner until death. And then both of the parties will point to the animal and say, God do so to me and also to you if ever we break this covenant. So it was really, really serious and solemn. Step number four, you will cut the palms, you let the blood flow out, and you will mix your blood with one another, signifying that you have become one. And you're swearing allegiance to the other. Step number five, you will exchange covenant names. I will give a part of my name to you. You will give a part of your name to me. Remember when God made the covenant with Abraham, his name was Abram. But after the covenant, God gave him part of His name. You see, Yahweh Yud Heh Vav He is the name of God. He, which means grace. Amen. Hallelujah. God gave the He to Abram so that his name became Abraham. God gave the hay to Sarai so that her name became Sarah. God gave his name to them. When you are born again, God gives his name to you. Now you are the bride of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are the bride of Christ. Amen. Step number six you will make a covenant scar will mix the, the place where the cutting was then, you will just, you know, rub ash on it and it will become a scar. Because the scar is always a symbol of the fact that you are in a covenant. And in the olden days, if you find a man with a lot of scars, you don't want to fight against him because he has a lot of covenant partners. It was said that when Stanley, a missionary, went to Uh, Africa to look for Livingston because he was there as a missionary for many years. He could not travel through certain regions because he was faced with a lot of hostile tribes and one chieftain was particularly hostile to him and he was the most dominant chieftain in that area. So one of his guides influenced Stanley to enter into a blood covenant with this chief and finally after a lot of negotiations they entered into a blood covenant and Stanley gave the chief His most treasured possession at that time, it was a goat because he was surviving on the milk of that goat because he was a white man in Africa. He could not eat all the other things. The chief gave to Stanley his spear, his spear, his staff with a copper head spear and that became the symbol of the covenant. So from that day onwards, when Stanley would travel all around that region, holding that spear, he would literally find... Entire villagers submit to him. Not because he was very imposing. Not because he was, you know, very impressive in person. But because of the sign of the covenant that he held in his hand. That was a symbol that he was in covenant with his greatest chief in that region. And if you do anything against Stanley, that chief will come and whip your ass. Amen. Hallelujah. Step number seven. They will give the covenant terms. The covenant terms. And usually the terms are like this. What is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. My forces are yours, your forces are mine. My battle is yours, your battle is mine. If ever you enter into a war with your enemies, I will come and fight for you. If ever I am attacked by my enemies, you will come and fight for me. And my covenant is with you and for your generations and your generations after. So even the children are a part the covenant. Those are the covenant terms. Step number eight, you will eat a covenant meal and the covenant meal was usually of bread and wine. Remember Melchizedek served Abraham bread and wine? We take communion. What is that? That's a symbol of the covenant. Jesus said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Amen. Step number eight, I'm sorry, step number nine, you will plant a memorial tree or you will put up a memorial made of stones, a symbol of the covenant. And you see all of this, you see all of this in the gospel message. Jesus gives us his robes of righteousness. Jesus gives us his name. Jesus says, take, Paul says, take the armor of God upon you. He fights our battle for us. Amen. There's a memorial tree called the cross. The covenant terms that God gives to us called the gospel message, our rights and our privileges in the gospel. Let's look at an example of a covenant. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 7 to 18. Now, by this time, Moses, I mean, Abraham already had the promises that he would be a father of many nations, that he would have a son and so on. But Abraham was filled with a lot of questions. How can these promises come to pass? So he keeps on asking the Lord, Lord, you have promised me this, you have promised me an offspring, but how are these things going to come to pass? Verse seven. Then God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And Abraham said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit the promise? How will I know? What is the guarantee? What is the surety that I will inherit this land? That is what Abraham wants to know. What is the foundation of my relationship with you? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And if you count, it's the number five. Five animals. The number five is the number of? Is the number of? Grace. So this covenant is a covenant of grace. God is entering into with Abraham. But this covenant is really a type and a shadow of God's covenant with us through Jesus Christ. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Down the middle from head to the toe. And placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. Verse 11, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. The vultures here represent Satan. Satan wants to come and steal the blessings of the covenant. Satan wants to come and fill your mind with doubts about your covenant in Christ. Even today, after you teach the church about the blood covenant, many believers still are not established in the understanding and revelation of the covenant. Why? Because the vulture has come and stolen the word from your heart. Don't allow the vulture to come today. Amen. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and before horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abraham, now this is the terms of the covenant. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will inflict them for 400 years. Also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, underline that in your Bible, and a burning torch, underline that, burning torch, that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant, everyone say covenant, with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Katmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gilgashites, and the Jebusites. So God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm giving this land to you. That the terms of the covenant. So we see here a picture of a blood covenant. Abraham knew exactly what was happening. God did not have to give him instructions what to do with the animals. Why? Because this blood covenant was already in practice in the cultures of that time. And when God said, bring me this and bring me that animal, Abraham knew God is entering into a covenant with me. So Abraham cuts the animals in two, places them on either side, The vultures come, he is fighting off the vultures, and then a deep sleep comes upon him because it was not a covenant between God and Abraham, technically. Somebody else came and represented Abraham in this covenant. Because Abraham did not walk through the pieces, he was sleeping. A deep sleep came upon him. So who walked between the pieces? The Bible says, a smoking oven and a burning torch. Walked between the pieces of the flesh. So here, the smoking oven is represented by God. The burning torch is represented by Jesus Christ. Jesus makes an appearance even before he comes on the cross on Calvary. So that this covenant becomes a type of the true covenant that is made between God and Christ on the cross. Literally on Calvary, representing all mankind. Why? Because this covenant is a type of a covenant with Christ. Because in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. If we believe in Christ, The same blessing of Abraham is upon us. We are Abraham's children. So this is the time. Abraham could not have entered into a covenant with God directly. Why? You cannot enter into a covenant with someone who is not your equal. And God cannot enter into a covenant with man directly. God could have kept his terms of the covenant because you see, a covenant is so strong that if you cannot keep the terms of the covenant, you will be destroyed. God can keep his part. But Abraham cannot keep He's part of the covenant, even if he swears. And he would doom himself and his descendants to utter destruction. So what was Abraham doing? He was sleeping. Amen. The posture of Abraham is a picture of grace. What is our part in the covenant today? Our part is nothing but to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can you say, Amen? Amen. It is God and Jesus who does all the work on our behalf. Now what happens after this is that Abraham's name is changed to Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. Abraham has to go through circumcision, which is a sign of the covenant and all his descendants after him. But after that, Abraham becomes a man with strong faith. Strong faith. No more questions and doubt in his relationship with God. Confident in his walk with God so much so that he even bargains for Sodom and Gomorrah with God. As if they are bargaining over mangoes and chicken. If there are 50 righteous men, if there are 45, if there is 40, if there is 30, if there is 20, if there is 10 righteous men, Lord, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, I will not for 10 righteous men. Unfortunately, there was not enough righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. He's blessed. He's protected. He's favored by God. When God comes to him and asks for Isaac, Abraham sacrifices Isaac literally even though he did not kill him. In his heart, it was already given. Why? And he did it without fear, without hesitation. Many times preacher preach as if Abraham was hesitating a lot. No, he did not hesitate at all. He was happy to give up his son on Mount Moriah. Why? In a covenant, whatever your covenant partner asks, you have to give. That's a covenant. Now, we don't understand covenant today because the values and ethics of humanity has corroded over the years. In a covenant... Relationship, whatever your covenant partner asks, you have to give. So Abraham gave Isaac to God. Do you know that that was really what also compelled our heavenly father to come and give his only son on that same mountain. 2,000 years after that. Amen. Hallelujah. So this is the seed wherein we understand a covenant with Christ today. Now let's look at the new covenant in Christ. Turn to John chapter 1 verse 29. John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist. In seeing Jesus, he says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. the world. From the beginning of the gospels, Jesus is defined as the lamb of God who will die for the sins of the world. In fact, revelation says he was slain from the foundations of the world. Revelation says in the end in heaven we will be worshipping forever the lamb who sits on the throne and we'll be saying worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. So from the beginning of time And even in the end of time, Jesus is the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And in the middle, he makes an appearance in Nazareth, in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he literally is the lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. That is a central theme in eternity, in history, in the Bible. That's a central theme and story and song that is sung in heaven. The redemption of mankind in the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Jesus himself says that his death is the new covenant in his blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats as in the old, but in his own blood. So we must understand this. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And the old testament says there is a savior coming there's a savior coming but before the savior comes you worship God with bulls and goats and animals that are sacrificed the Israelites had a list of burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings did you know that all of the sacrifices in the old testament were only pointing to Jesus so that when Jesus comes you don't need any more of those old testament sacrifices the sacrifices are fulfilled in christ in fact in the old testament law of worship jesus is the tabernacle jesus is all the sacrifices jesus is the high priest and all the levites put together all of it is in jesus that's why paul says if you have christ you have the substance why go back to an old form of worship again? When it all becomes about washing your hand and observing days, observing, observing days and festivals and trying to keep objects around the house that bless you. No, afraid is no longer in all those things. We worship God in spirit and in truth. Can you say Amen? Amen. For that matter, let me say something about what has been going on in the newspapers about the Sabbath. The am came out with a diktat saying that Sunday should be a day, a holy day. And some church leaders supported that. And then they begin to say that if you are a genuine Christian, you will not work on Sunday. You will observe it as a Sabbath. Now, the moment they put the word Sabbath, I have something wrong against that kind of a statement. Because when you say Sabbath, you are trying to go back to the observance of the Sabbath as in the Old Testament. And technically, the Sabbath is from... Friday, 6 p.m. to Saturday, 6 p.m. The Sabbath is not on a Sunday. And if you really want to observe the Sabbath, you cannot even cook food in your house to eat. You're not allowed to even light a fire. That's why when you go to Israel today, if you go to the hotels on the Sabbath, they have a Sabbath lift and then they have the normal lift. The normal lift is for tourists. The Sabbath lift is for the Jews. Even today. And the Sabbath lift is automatic because they have programmed it so that it opens in every floor. Closed and open in every floor. The Jews will go there and they will stay there because they are not supposed to go and touch the button. Because if you touch the button, you have pulled electricity. And because you have pulled electricity, you have violated the Sabbath. So if you really want to observe the Sabbath as a holy day, you have to go back under the terms of the law. Now, the principle of rest, because a Sabbath literally means rest, is even valid for today. All of us should take a day of rest. Amen. It is biblical. God's commands are always for our good. So if you observe a day of rest, your minds will repair, your body will repair. And even your relationships, it is good for relationships because you spend that day in relationships, not at work. So observing a day of Sabbath rest is absolutely essential even for Christians today. Amen. But your Sabbath day can be different. It did not be Sunday all the time for all people. Your Sabbath day can be different. Can you say amen? And there's no such thing as this day is holier than all the other days because if you have Christ in you, every day is holy. Amen. Can you say amen? Alright, so let's kill that sacred cow today. Alright, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, 22. It's up there on your slide. Gospels, like I said, the Old Testament is pointing and saying there is a Messiah coming, there is a lamb coming and when that lamb is sacrificed, No need for all these sacrifices. The Gospels in the middle. The Gospels tell us what happened. The Lamb came and the Lamb died on the cross for our sins on the Passover, Good Friday. The Epistles and the New Testaments now explain to us what happened on Good Friday. So the New Testaments is the explanation. So Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22, the Bible says, By so much more, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. So Jesus signals the coming in of a better covenant. Everyone said better covenant. Amen. So how did Jesus become a better covenant for us? Turn to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 to 13. Hebrews 8 6 to 13. By now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. He is the mediator. The word mediator means a go-between. A go-between. Someone who comes between you and another person. A mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So, God could not enter into a covenant with Abraham directly because Abraham was man. God is God. You cannot enter into a covenant with someone who is not your equal. So God had to find a mediator. So Jesus came and He could enter into a covenant with the Father because Jesus was God completely. Amen. So He stands in between God and man and He can Enter into a covenant with God as equals because he is fully God and fully divine. But he could also bring all men who believe in him into this covenant. Why? Because he is fully man, fully man, complete man, except that he had no sin. And that's why he could be the mediator. He could bring men into the covenant, and he can bring God into the covenant in him how beautiful is Christ how beautiful is the gospel amen hallelujah for if that first covenant had been faultless the old covenant no place would have been sought for a second covenant but because finding fault with them verse 8 he says behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant everyone say new covenant when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to let them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant, the new one, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So it's no longer outside, It's inside. Be worship in spirit and in truth. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and the sins and the lawless deeds I will remember no more. These are some of the terms of the covenant. The sins and the lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God is swearing Ah. Ah, I will remember your sins no more. Why do we keep on reminding ourselves of our sins all the time? Of each other's sins? When God said, I will remember your sins no more, if you will believe in what Christ has done. He will be merciful to our unrighteousness. And I will remember your sins no more. Verse 13, in that he says, A new covenant he has made the first obsolete, Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So the new covenant is established in the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ was really a covenant, a contract, legal document between God and man in Christ Jesus. You need to know what is in that document. And you were represented there by your intercessor, Jesus Christ. Your high priest. Your lawyer. He represented you in this covenant. It's more than just a man dying on a cross. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 to 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Do you know that when Christ comes into your life, you can expect good things? I mean, this is a message of hope. There is always hope every day for believers. Why? Christ came as high priest. High priest of what? Good things to come. If you are a believer, why are you always expecting evil? sometimes people go and prophesy only evil things to come you know i see a coffin in your house i see black things in your house i see your life short they can only see evil things so you wonder who is the high priest because my high priest tells me no matter how terribly you have fallen no matter how much in circumstances which are negative you are in there are good things to come if you will believe in jesus Amen. Good things to come. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, there are good things coming in your life. It's the truth. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, you better believe it. Good things are coming. Come on, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Good things to come. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves. Another thing I just want to do, just a side topic. I'm going a little side topic. Why is it that we believe evil prophecies more than good prophecies? Huh? What has happened to a Naga Christianity mindset? When someone comes and tells us evil things, we get so fearful and we believe it. But when someone comes and tells you, hey, there are good things to come, God has wonderful things in store for Naga, and eh, misako Something is wrong in the way we have practiced Christianity. Why? We have not practiced it on the foundation of grace and the new covenant. We are practicing it by believing Old Testament style of prophecy. God will curse the non God will curse you. Oh, curse? You really believe curse? Blessings we don't even believe. Why? Because when you are sin-obsessed... And sin conscious, you always think you deserve the curse. You deserve punishments. Your faith is not in what Jesus has done, your faith is in your life. And because your life is not perfect, you think you deserve sin, punishment, curse. So when someone comes and prophesies over you, you, you believe it. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But when someone comes and say, hey, you're forgiven, God loves you, and God has great things for you. No one again. Why? Because our faith is not in Christ. Christ. Amen. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Not with the blood of ghouls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Come on, you, you must go into the heart of the author. He's saying, listen, in our own religion, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer will sprinkle, will make you clean before God. But it was temporary. And the author is saying, Don't you understand how much more? So you have to get the heart of the right to you. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience. To cleanse your conscience from guilt and condemnation and from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 15. And for this reason, what reason? His blood... His blood that He poured out on the mercy seat. For this reason, He, Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant. The new contract. The new constitution. On which we have a relationship with God. By means of His death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called. How many of us are called? Into the kingdom of God. All of us who are called may receive the promise. How do you know you will receive the promise of the inheritance of Christ? Why? Because of the new covenant. Because the death of Christ. Every blessing from God comes to us because of the death of Christ. Amen. Look at the promises. Some of the promises there. See, 1 Corinthians... Chapter 1, verse 20 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him, in Christ Jesus. All the promises. But let me give you a list of about 12. If you go back on the slide. Number one, God forgives all our sins. If we believe in Jesus, all our sins. All. All. Everyone say all. Amen. This is in the constitution of the new covenant. The constitution is, if you believe in my son, Jesus Christ, you shall have eternal life. If you believe in the blood that was shed for you, you are forgiven of all your sins. It's in the written document. Here in the Bible. Number two, God remembers our sins no more. He said in this new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. See, when Nagas go out of Nagaland and we go to Delhi, we get fooled by people. We get cheated by people. Even the police will cheat us. Even the government cheats Why? Because we Nagas, we don't know our constitution. We don't know our constitution. We don't know our rights. But you see some of those people who are born in those places, Bengalis and all these people, ah, they will bargain for five rupees, two rupees. Why? They know their rights. Amen. When you don't know your rights, you can be taken for a ride. Even it rhymes. When you don't know your rights, Satan will take you for a ride. Amen. But when you know your rights, your faith will be tight. Hallelujah. Number three, God promises He will never be angry with us again. It's a covenant of kindness. You see this promise in Isaiah 54 when he says, I will never be angry with you again. Number four, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How many of you, sometimes you feel far from God? Let's all be honest. You feel far from God. Do you know that that's only your feeling? But if you feel far from God, you will feel, let me go to church to feel close to God. Let me go to prayer house to feel close to God, right? So our spiritual life is highs of close to God, lows of feeling far from God. Highs and lows, highs and lows. There are times we feel close to God. Easter, I feel so close to God. Christmas, I feel so close to God. But June, July, I feel far from God. See, that's unstable Christianity. That's when you don't know you are in a new covenant. In a new covenant, Christ is in you. You are in Christ. You are never far from God. You will never be far from God. Your sins cannot separate you from God. We have to kill religion from our mind. This religious upbringing, which is not biblical, which is not the truth. You feel far from God, you better go fasting. You better go confess all your sins. So if you confess all your sins, you feel close to God. If you don't confess your sins, you feel far from God. Look, I believe in confession of sins. I believe you should confess your sins. Amen. But the truth is, the moment you become born again, Christ is in you, you are in Christ. He never leaves you. Can you say amen? And when you confess your sins, you're not confessing your sins because you're far from God. You're confessing your sins because you are in love relationship. And you don't want anything in your heart between you and the God who loves you. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Number five, you get a new identity. A new identity. In other words, you carry the name of Christ. You're a child of God, just as Christ is. Number six, God gives you the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. God gives you the robe of righteousness. Jesus gives you His own righteousness. He gives you his robe of righteousness and that's why all of us are beautiful in the eyes of God. Number seven, God gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us and to help us. The Holy Spirit is a sign of the new covenant. In the old covenant, it was circumcision. And the new covenant is the Holy Spirit in your heart. Number eight, God is for you. His strength, his favor, his power, his protection is for you. There is no condemnation. If God is for us, who can be against us? Number nine, we have access to the throne of grace anytime. The author of Hebrews says, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way. He says, by a new way. Not the old way of sacrifices. Not the old way of fear. Not the old way of, I can't go. Aaron, you please go for me. Uh, Pastor Sean, you please pray for me. I cannot go. That's the old way. If you think that for your prayers to be answered, every time an anointed pastor has to pray for you, that's the old way. He says, by a new and living way, made by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of you can come to the throne of grace anytime, boldly. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Number 10, we have authority over the enemy. Jesus says, my name, in my name you pray. The name of Jesus is the key to all the doors of blessings in heaven. You have authority over Satan in the name of Jesus. Number 11, you have healing in this covenant. You have provision, prosperity in this covenant. Number 12, God offers us his peace and his rest. His peace and joy is a covenant of rest. Amen. What is the guarantee? Now this is the most important portion of scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 to 19. What is the guarantee that all these promises we will get? again the author of hebrew takes us back to the covenant verse 13 for when god made a promise to abraham see the promise to abraham is the type of the covenant we have with god in christ today because he could swear by no one greater he saw by himself god swore the omnipresent omnipotent almighty all sovereign god bound himself By an oath. By the shedding of blood. And he said, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. If God will come and swear himself directly to you, I tell you, your mind will change. Your expectation of your future will change. It will change. Your hope for life will change. Your attitude will change. Failure, loss will not be in your mentality anymore. Amen. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. An oath is an end of all dispute. An oath is the end of all doubts. Arguments. But I don't know why I be. I don't know why God wants to bless me. I, Pastor, I just don't know. Can I really be healed? Does God really love me? See, our minds are filled with all these questions, right? The oath, when you know the oath, the promise, the vow that God took, it should be the end to all your doubts. Can you say, "Amen," "Hallelujah"? Verse seventeen. Does God? It's very important. Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise us. He wants to show to us the immutability of his counsel. The unchangeable nature of his will. Confirmed it by an oath. What is that? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is an oath. Amen. That by two unchangeable things. It cannot change. In which, number one, it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So if God took an oath, He can never go back on His oath because God cannot lie. Can you say, Amen? We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Number two is not mentioned. But it is mentioned. It's just not very clear. What is number two? Number one is God cannot lie. Number two is what? The oath. By two unchangeable things. Number one, God cannot lie. Number two, He made a promise based on the blood covenant. He took a blood covenant with man. So based on these two unchangeable things, the author says verse 19, this we have as an anchor for the soul. Anchor is when you are established. When you have an anchor for the ship, even though the waves may come and go out of the harbor, the ship remains. Why? It is anchored. The storms of life may come. The waves of problems may come. Crisis may come into your life. Satan may bring storms in your life. But if your soul is anchored on what? The promise. If your soul is anchored on the covenant rights and privilege that you have. If your soul is anchored and trusting in Jesus, you will not be moved. Amen. Hallelujah. Your soul. It's a place where you have fears, anxieties, discouragement, depression, loss of hope. It's like a wave of the sea at times. Your your soul. Right? Before exams, your soul, there's a storm here. Before marriage, there's a storm here. After marriage, the storm is bigger. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. There's more blessing after marriage. But... I mean, some of you, because of crisis, sickness in your family, your father is drinking, your son is running around, rebellious, there's death in your family, there's a storm here, and the ship of your faith is being rocked. But if you are anchored, God cannot lie. God made a vow. Therefore, I will be healed no matter what. God made a promise. God cannot lie. Therefore, my future is bright. God made a promise. God cannot lie. Therefore, my debt will be destroyed. God made a promise. God cannot lie. Therefore, I will live long. This is the anchor You feel guilt and condemnation because of your sins. God made a promise. God cannot lie. I am forgiven of my sins. He will remember my sins no more. Amen. Hallelujah. We have an anchor for the soul. Sure and steadfast. And which enters behind the veil. The veil. Talking about the most holy place. Enters into the very presence of God. The Lord spoke to me yesterday. I taught only two guarantees. The Lord said, There's another guarantee. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. How do I know the covenant rights are guaranteed to me today? I have a guarantee for healing. I have a guarantee for provision. I have a guarantee. For victory over Satan. I know God cannot lie. He made a promise. If I use the name of Jesus, Satan has to flee. I'm not scared of any demon. That should be the way we live our life. I'm not scared of any demon-possessed persons. Why? God made a promise. God cannot lie. He has given me authority in the name of Jesus. When I use the name of Jesus, it's not because I'm so powerful, but because I'm the righteousness of God, the demon has to flee. Can you say amen? Amen. God made the promise God cannot lie when you sow your tithes and your offering, you will surely reap a harvest in your life. See, we don't preach just for the sake of preaching. This is life. This is the faith by which you must live your life. It's not about, I mean, you know, Let's go to the church and try out the Good Friday service. I heard it's pretty good. Let's go to the church and try out the choir. No, you don't live life like that anymore. If you're truly serious about your life, you will look for faith. And you will live your life in faith in the Word of God. Don't play church anymore. Don't play Christianity. This is about your life and death. Knowledge of the blood covenant. Amen. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God and one meteor between God and man. The Man, capital M, Christ Jesus. And God spoke to me. Do you know that you have a guarantee to all of these rights and privilege Because in heaven, even today, there is a man. Do you know that even today, Christ is fully man and fully God? The Bible says there is one meteor. Not there was There is one mediator, even today, between God and man. The man. The perfect man. There is a man in heaven who is fighting on your behalf. There is a man in heaven who is representing you. And because he is there, fully God and fully man, we have a part in the covenant if you, will believe in him. And a part is only to believe. Abraham was sleeping. God and Jesus were doing the hard work. They were sweating on Abraham's behalf. Abraham was sleeping. Hallelujah. That's a picture of grace. God says, hey, the Father and the Son will do the work. You only believe. Your righteousness, your good works, it's okay. Not needed. Don't mess up what Jesus Jesus is going to do for you. No self-righteousness. No works from humanity, from you, permitted in this covenant. It's a covenant of grace. God and Jesus. Jesus representing all men. That if you will believe, and if you will only believe, you have all these covenant blessings and privileges. For you, let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
1: If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do so. The support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember. When you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency, all things may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com. And visit our website www.fateharvest.in, and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 7005684533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.